it's a highlight just to have our church family together to be able to experience this baptism service. There's going to be eight people that are going to get baptized. And I thought just for a few brief moments, if I could just talk to you about baptism, both for our church family as well as our guest, because uh, really the subject of baptism, sometimes it's, it's confusing. You hear some different aspects about baptism. Uh, you're kind of taking away and wondering, what is it? And so I've titled this message just briefly for you. I want to ask and answer four, ba- four questions on believer's baptism, okay? And so I've titled the message, Believer's Baptism. And let me, this will help us, I believe, explain what are these eight, it's actually young people, which is interesting. I don't know why I didn't catch that. There's eight people being baptized and they're all in middle school and they're all in high school. And so God is just doing a work in our student ministries and I'm grateful for that. And uh, we're going to do that as we close this part of the service out in just a little bit of time. But here's the first question. I want to just ask and answer, what is baptism? What is baptism? And even what are we doing today? Well, if I gave you just what is Christian baptism, I would say baptism is an outward public act that represents an inward spiritual reality. So in just a few moments, you're going to hear, they're going to give testimony. We're not just dunking them. It is an outward public act for the church and for family of an inward spiritual uh, reality. Baptism, we would say, is a commanded public ceremony by immersion for all believers. And what it does is it testifies to their union and their identification with Christ and his church. So I just want to make clear for our church family that water baptism is really a picture. In fact, it's fair to call it a a symbol. It symbolizes being united with Christ, specifically in his death, burial, and resurrection. Going into the water, if you will, symbolizes the death and burial, and coming out of the water symbolizes life in Christ. Now, I think you know, just as a church family, but it's important just to say this, baptism is a, is a command by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I say that to us, that it is not a, a matter of kind of a private conviction. The last words that our Lord spoke on earth before his ascension in Matthew 28 is to go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So evidently it was quite important to him because it was the last command that he gave. Now the Bible speaks of two types of baptism. One of them is water, you'll see that today, and then one of them is spiritual. But again, water baptism is a public symbolic act of spiritual baptism. Now, let me just be clear for you too. We all know that baptism doesn't save people. It's not as though when these eight young men and women go into the water, it's not a saving act. There's nothing special in that sense about going into the water. They're going into the water. The water is H2O. 
and the water probably has some chlorine in it or salt, depending on what kind of pool that Matt has. Um, But it's not a saving act. The thief on the cross was saved, was he not? Without water baptism, Jesus told him today, you'll be in paradise. So understand, as we come to this, it is not for salvation. Justification, the Bible tells us in Romans 3, comes at the moment of faith. Water baptism is always subsequent to saving faith. Now, let me just make a couple clarifications for you. Some churches and some denominations teach that baptism is salvific for a little baby. For instance, uh, there are parts of the Lutheran church that they baptize babies because they believe it brings salvation. The Church of England sometimes baptizes babies because they believe that it's salvific. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that. They teach that when a baby is baptized, it is necessary for salvation. They teach that it would eradicate uh, the original sin nature so babies get baptized. Now... Let me clarify this. There's some people that I'm aware of that live a little down south of us. Uh, The Dutch Reformed community, there's certain parts of the Reformed church that teach infant baptism. They don't baptize because they believe that that's salvation for that baby. They baptize in some Reformed churches because they believe that it's a sign of the covenant from the Old Testament and then later needs to come saving faith. But here, and I'm going to show you in just a moment, we teach that baptism is commanded by Christ. It's a public ceremony. It's by immersion, okay? And I'll explain that. And it's for people who have trusted Christ alone for their salvation and nothing else. And so we say it is for believers' baptism. Let me show you some scriptures. Can I show you that if you brought your Bible? Look in your Bible in Acts chapter 2. Let me just show you some text on why we teach this, okay? And this is to ask and answer the second question is, who is baptism for? The first one, what is it? The second one is, who is baptism for? And it's for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ work of salvation, not trusting anything else. Look here in Acts chapter 2, in verse 37, when they were preaching uh, at the day of Pentecost, and it just says this, when they heard this, when they heard Peter preaching, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There you have it. They were to repent of their sins and to trust in Christ, and then they were commanded at that time, on that spot, to Be baptized. Look down at chapter 2, verse 41. It says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added about 3,000 souls. And I do want to just make a little connection. What you see in the New Testament is whenever anybody trusted Christ, believed, came to saving faith, 
they were baptized. And I just want you to understand that when someone believed, it was a recognition of the word that was preached, which is why we teach again that it's believer's baptism. If you have your Bible, look over in Acts chapter 8 for a moment, okay? Scripture is so clear here. And this is what they are doing, answering the question, who is baptism for? It's for believers. But in Acts chapter 8, here the apostles were preaching, and it says in 8, look at verse 12, it says, when they believed Philip, as he preached, verse 12, the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So you have in Acts 2, they preached, they heard, they believed, they, re- they repented, and then they were baptized. And here, when they heard Philip, they believed, and they were baptized. Look over, if you're still in Acts chapter 8, here's another great account. Here, Philip was preaching, if you will, to the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says in 834 after he heard the word that Philip preached out of Isaiah 53, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus, and as they were going along the road, they came across to some water, and the eunuch said, see here water, what prevents me from being baptized. Again, when you look at the New Testament, Grace Church of the Valley, the word was preached, which is why we don't baptize babies. We believe it's a response to the preaching of the gospel. They believed and then they were baptized. Look at 838. He commanded the chariot to stop and they went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Faith led to baptism. Look just at the next chapter in Acts chapter 9 in verse 18. And it's discussing there and talking about the conversion of the Apostle Paul. But look what it says in 9.18. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight because he had lost that. He rose in 9.18 and was, what? Baptized. This is the clear teaching of the New Testament, which is why we're doing this today, right? I mean, we're just following in obedience what we found in the book of Acts. They believed and they were baptized. Turn over to chapter 9, if you will, just a, a scripture there in, or you're in 9, but in, no, excuse me, one more, chapter 10. Look there in verse 44 when They were still preaching to the Gentiles in 1044. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles and they were hearing them. And it says in 1046, speaking in tongues, which according to Acts 2 was a a known language, speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them there in 48 to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Look at everywhere you go in the book of Acts, they heard and they were baptized. Look over at Acts chapter 16, just a couple more. Acts chapter 16, there is the gracious account of the conversion of Lydia. Lydia, a dear woman. In fact, look at 1614. One who heard us, and and again, you're always, that statement there, they heard the preaching. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord, again, opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and she was, there it is again, baptized. As the word came, as they responded, these people were baptized. Look down just a little bit. You might be familiar with uh, Acts 16, verse 32, with the Philippian jailer. And they spoke, again, 32, the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds And, there it is, he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. They heard, they believed, and they were baptized. And let me just say this to you, church family. And I don't mean this like, like come off like this is a joyful day. But if you're in Christ, and you've trusted Christ and he's forgiven your sins, you are commanded to be baptized. In fact, let me put it this way. There was no such thing as a believer in the New Testament who was not baptized. Ever. If they believed, in the book of Acts, as I'm showing you, they were baptized. One more. Look over at Acts chapter 18. A man by the name of Crispus Crispus in 18.8, it says Crispus, not Krispy Kreme, but Crispus, okay, was the ruler of the synagogue, here it is again, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were, what, baptized. This is the testimony of the early church, so it's enough for me just to say, What a joyful thing for our church that we've got eight young people who have trusted in Christ and want to come before us and share a testimony because they've already believed in Christ. And so when we call this believer's baptism, there is an intellectual comprehension of the gospel and to the reception of God's word. Now, you might ask the question, How old should they be? Well, let me just say this. I'm not going to give you an age, but they should be old enough to give a believable profession of faith. Whether it's a child or a student or an adult, they need to be able to communicate the gospel and they should show some evidence of spiritual fruits, okay? So since baptism is a picture of salvation... No one should be baptized until he or she has made a conscious, personal confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's some people who just don't want to make that confession. 
I get that. Some people are just, I don't know if I want to say he's my Lord or he's my Savior. But when someone's heart's been changed and transformed and born again, you want to give a confession before the body of your inward uh, faith that you have. So I would say old enough um, to give a believable profession of faith, but we're not going to set an age, okay? So that was the second question. The first one was, uh, what is baptism? Secondly, who's it for? Thirdly, just we're almost done, how do we baptize? And I'm just trying to explain what we're doing, okay? And if, if I'm trying to explain it to Grace Church of the Valley, it's always because everything we do, we want to be based on the Word of God, okay? How do we baptize? Well, I think you're going to witness it, whether I said it or not. But we baptize by immersion in water. You say, well, Pastor Scott, why do you baptize by immersion for believers in water? Well, there's a couple of things that I would just tell you on the reasons why. First, the word for baptism that we just looked at in the book of Acts is the Greek word baptizo, okay? And the very word itself means, I, I don't know how we can get around this. Here's what it means. It means to plunge or dip or immerse something in water. So the reason that we don't, and, and by the way, there's dear believers who believe in infant baptism. I have dear reformed friends who sprinkle babies. They don't think it's creating salvation, but they sprinkle babies. Like a guy like R.C. Sprawl, they would be what we call a pedo baptist They baptize infants, not for salvation, but why we don't do that, they link that back in the Old Testament to the rite of circumcision. But when we get to the New Testament, I'm just sharing with you, the word baptizo means to dip, to plunge, to immerse something in water. Now, let me give you some scriptures for that, okay? First of all, that's what the word means. But second of all, and you can just write these down. In Mark chapter 1, verse 5, Well, how else would you interpret this? It said that John the Baptist baptized, in Mark 1, 5, in the Jordan River, okay? It's very clear. The Word of God is all breathed out and inspired, which means we take every word to be inspired. It doesn't say that he baptized near the Jordan. It doesn't say that he baptized by the Jordan or beside the Jordan, it says in Mark 1.5 that he baptized in the Jordan. And I think we just think, hey, if it's a matter of sprinkling, you don't even need a river, right? But he baptized in the Jordan. In Mark chapter 1.10, do you remember in that account in the New Testament when Jesus was baptized, it seems very clear. It uses this phrase that he came Out of the water. So when Jesus was baptized, he was immersed. The Bible's very clear that he came up out of the water is what the Bible says. It seems so clear. In John, the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, verse 23, 
it's still talking about John the Baptist there. And it says that he baptized John the Baptist near this place called Salim, okay? Not Selma, but Salim, okay? And it says this in John 3.23. He did that because it says there was much water there. So I don't know how we get around that. That's all. So what we're doing today is we just believe this to be the biblical command of Christ, okay? And we're, we're immersing them, and there's much water, at least in the pool. But it says that, that he baptized near Salim because there was much water there. And again, you're just thinking, what did they do in the New Testament? They, they baptized believers, and they immersed them in the water. Do you remember when I was reading earlier, you don't have to turn there, in Acts 8 when the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, he said, as he's in the chariot, what prevents me from being baptized? And the text says, he said, see, here is water. And then it's very clear in Acts 8 that it says, with the eunuch and with Peter, he went, this is what it says, down into the water and he came up out of the water. So listen, Grace Church of the Valley, we're just trying to obey what the scripture says here, okay? Now listen, um, there are dear Reformed people who baptize by sprinkling and they love Christ. Dutch Reformed people, some of them love Christ, okay? We're talking about a different mode in that way. They sprinkle. We, we dunk and for the reasons that I'm said, but realize this, I don't want you to become hostile to people who do that in a Dutch Reformed church. They don't believe it's salvific. They take it back to the Old Testament, which I, if we had more time, I would share that argument with you, okay? Now, last question, and then we're all done, okay? And, and, and for you as a church family, I, I want you to understand this. This is, to me, the most important thing I can tell you. Earlier, I said that baptism speaks in the scripture of two types of baptism. There's water baptism. You'll see that. And then there's spiritual baptism. So my fourth and just final question is, what is spiritual baptism? And what is the spiritual reality that water baptism depicts? Okay? Because really, what they do today... That's not the most important thing, right? They're, they're, they're following in obedience to an inward truth. The outward public testimony is the reality of what's going inside and what's already taken place. So you say, what does it symbolize or what is it a sign of? Well, symbolically, to be immersed into something, to be immersed, means to be surrounded It means to be consumed. It means to be identified with something. And so in the Bible, we see that the word baptism really is used of what we would call an identification. In fact, Jesus, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, he was simply identifying with his message by being baptized in water. In fact, it uses statements like this in the scripture when it talked about Israel being led out of Egypt, 
during the Exodus, it says in 1 Corinthians 10.2, they were baptized into Moses. That is just simply to say they identified with Moses, but there was no physical water baptism there. So listen, immersion is an appropriate symbol to identify the believer's union with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, okay? In other words, when you become a Christian, something supernaturally takes place in the life of a believer. That believer comes into what we call a union or an identification with the person of Christ. God Almighty, sometimes we even call this the mystical union, puts you or places you or identifies you in union with Christ. And that's why in the scripture, remember when Paul said, I have been crucified with what? Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ in me. When he came to Christ, he became in identification with Christ, in union with Christ, so that when the Bible talks about, it says it is as if you died when he died on the cross and you rose again when he rose. But let me just, for the last couple of minutes, give you just two realities, two spiritual realities of what water baptism represents. Number one, and I just mentioned this, it is a symbol that we are identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Look over, let me show it to you. If you're in Acts, look over one page in Romans. In Romans chapter 6, it just simply profoundly says there, it says in 6.3 of Romans, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, now as you read this, there's no water here, okay? No water. Those who have been baptized into Christ have been identified in Christ. They are in union with Christ. It says, those of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him, In a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's enough just to say that it's a union with Christ when you come to him. Water baptism then is simply the symbol that you've trusted Christ. And as these young men and women go down into the water, it is a picture, a symbol of dying with Christ on the cross As they're raised out of the water, it is the picture of the newness of life. That's the picture. But there's no water mentioned in Romans 6, 3 through 5. It's simply a symbol of what water baptism depicts. This is the greater reality, okay? So coming out of the water is the picture of being raised with Christ to walk in the newness of Christ. You say, well, Scott, explain that a little bit more. Well, do you remember in the summer when I said, if you were justified, if you were declared righteous, remember the children's definition of that? Just as if I never, what? Sinned. You only gain that because of what Christ has done. 
you still sin, but when you come to Christ, because of that union, it's just as if you never sinned, and you can say in the doctrine of sanctification, it's just as if I always obeyed in the person of Christ by union with him, okay? And then secondly, and we're all done, baptism is a symbol that we've been purified and cleansed from our sin. So again, baptism is a symbol. It's a public command. It reveals and shows the relationship of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the believer walking in the newness of life. And secondly, it is a picture or a metaphor of being purified and cleansed from our sins. Paul addresses that in Titus 3, 5, when he talks about the washing of the water with the word.